Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. I think it would be good just to have a, let's have a moment of just quiet prayer as we reflect on the miracle of the Incarnation, God become man, baby born in Bethlehem. Let all mortals keep silence. Let's just have a silent word of prayer and open our hearts to God this morning. Our Heavenly Father, it is truly time of year for us to marvel, to take time of our busy schedule, to just wonder and be amazed. The power of God come to earth in flesh, Jesus Christ, our Savior. Because you loved us, and you still love us, and you have called us to yourself. We thank you. We celebrate the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ once again as a family of God. In his precious name, we ask your blessing on our time as we look into your word now. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. As we uh, continue to contemplate the Christmas message, and uh, you know, as we watched the uh, children's video we saw this morning, and obviously the the lines were rehearsed uh, to some degree and uh, prompted and so forth, um, it doesn't really take too much to convince children, even children, of the miracle of the birth of Christ. And the fact that he would be born in a manger. We'll be going to Israel this spring. Actually, there's about 60 of us. Uh, it's quite a large group. we got going to Israel this year. And one of the places we'll go is Bethlehem. And I know I've mentioned this before, but it's one of the places that we grow up with this. And we go to Bethlehem and hope to see something like this. But, of course, we won't. Um, the actual site of his birth is covered by a church now. Um, and uh, if we were to go outside in the hills outside and see some of the soft rock uh, caverns that are formed there, as many believe that, that, that the inn was located with one of those nearby and that that would be the normal place for a baby to be born. The mangers, we'll see a manger at Megiddo, because there is a manger there that's been preserved from the second temple period. And it's made out of stone, because wood is not plentiful in Israel. It's made out of stone. And it was in that probably stone feeding trough that our Lord Jesus Christ was born. Everything about the story is humble. Uh, almost humiliating in some ways, but very lowly and humble. And as the story progresses, there are certain things that Jesus Christ, uh, born under the law, born to Mary and Joseph under the law, had to fulfill. And let me read to you from the book of Leviticus that this would have to be fulfilled by Mary. When the days of her purification for a son or daughter are over, she is to bring the priest at the entrance to the tent of meeting. She is to bring a one-year-old lamb for a burnt offering and a young pigeon or a dove 
for a sin offering for her to be cleansed after giving birth. These are the regulations for the woman who gives birth to a boy or girl. If she cannot afford a lamb, she is to bring two doves. Would be option number two. If your situation is such you can't afford a lamb, you can bring two doves. Or she can bring two pigeons. One for the burnt offering and the other for a sin offering. In this way, the priest will make atonement for her and she will be clean. You bring a lamb. You can't afford that. You can bring doves. You can't afford that. You can bring a pigeon. Two pigeons. One pigeon to replace the one-year-old lamb. And you know, I'm sure, maybe if not, it's the story in the Gospel of Luke, that in Luke, when Mary came to do this, in Luke chapter 2, when the time of their purification, Luke 2.22, when the time of their purification according to the law of Moses had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male to be consecrated to the Lord, and to offer, and they came to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. And Mary and Joseph brought this sacrifice, the sacrifice of the poor people, to the Lord. I wonder what it was like for Mary and Joseph. They had been told by the angels. They had been visited by the shepherds. I'm sure they were convinced that this baby they brought into the world was the Son of God and was to be the Messiah, the promised King and ruler for Israel. And they couldn't even afford the sacrifice, the normal sacrifice of a lamb and had to bring the pigeons to sacrifice to the Lord Jesus Christ to cleanse Mary as they begin their ministry of raising Mary, Jesus, Son of God. What would it be like? Maybe the public humbleness of having to get in line with those who are bringing the pigeons. So last week there was a football game on TV and Thursday night and um, the Seahawks were wearing some new uniforms. Um, Action Green, that's the official title. <laughs> it reminded me of um, about this time of year when I was a kid. Uh, my mother was, uh, I've told you before, my dad died when I was pretty young and he was a hardworking man, but he didn't leave anything. He, he couldn't. And uh, he had no insurance, no savings, and my mom went to work, work a minimum wage jobs to make a living, to provide for my brother and I. My sisters were in high school, about ready to graduate. My aunt moved in with us, and that helped out a lot because she helped pay for things too. She was a single woman, a nurse. But my mom was a very thrifty shopper. And in fact, I found out some years later from some of my friends, we always thought you had lots of money because you always dressed so nice. Well, my mom was the ultimate thrifty shopper. 
She uh, did her shopping at Wigwam in Greenwood, which uh, sold seconds, uh, clothes that were no longer, you know, had a flaw or a mark. She always visited the uh, Sears bargain basement, which is now Starbucks. <laughs> it was downstairs at Starbucks. Uh, did all of her shopping, a lot of her shopping there. And, uh, and of course, we lived a block and a half away from Chubby and Tubby. Um, these are names you probably wouldn't use today for stores, but these were two guys after the war, and Chubby and Tubby, and uh, they sold a lot of seconds, um, and she had a way of finding those things, and we always looked pretty nice. One year, she went to Chubby and Tubby around Christmas time, and um, for those of you that are younger here, you're aware of Converse All-Star Tennis Shoes, right? They're kind of hip these days, Right? They are. I, I've even got a pair. And, but, and uh, Converse, but back in my day, Converse tennis shoes were tennis shoes. They were just, in fact, we wore them for basketball. I see Terry Faulkner back there, if I'm not mistaken. That's Terry. Terry and I played basketball at uh, Grace Bible College together, and I remember we had blue high-top Converse All-Stars. Those were our, I mean, the pros were Converse All-Stars. We didn't have leather boots, you know, to play basketball in. And... Um, I remember she went to Chubby and Tubby, and well, when you when you wore Converse All Stars, there were two colors you wore, right? Black and white. You didn't wear colored Converse All Stars. Well, she went down to Chubby and Tubby, and she found a pair of green high top Converse All Stars that were really cheap, brand new, and convinced me to wear them. I wore them to school, Bagley Elementary School. And my brother, Dick, who's two years older than me, who was always really nice. In fact, he was nicer to me than I was to him growing up. The older brother, I'll admit that. But this particular day, he and a few of his friends, uh, Woody, you know, Jerry, uh, Whitey, whatever, uh, they decided to uh, tease me on the basketball out on the play court. And my brother led in the teasing of me wearing green tennis shoes to school. Um, and it was embarrassing. Nobody wore green tennis shoes. Nobody would do that. And I remember how humiliating, how humbling that was. I went home. I never wore those shoes again. The only good thing was he really got in trouble. <laughs> he really got in trouble. If only you remember my mom, and have a hard time remember thinking of her getting mad. Uh, boy, was she mad that day. And uh, But I never wore those again. It was humbling. It was, it's a public humiliation sometimes for, to have to do things like a, as a kid like that. Mary and Joseph had to go and, for the Son of God, offer pigeons. Because that's all they could afford to meet the minimum requirements of the law. It should have been a celebration. It should have been festive. You know, the Lord Jesus Christ. I want us just a few minutes we have left. I want us to focus on a passage that I think really puts it in focus. And it's from Philippians chapter 2. It's actually a passage uh, Josh read from this this morning. This is um, quite an order there. Um, you know, the Lord Jesus Christ, when he was on earth, said, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And he was the suffering servant of God. He was the servant 
leader. That term servant leader has been used a lot. And it becomes a model for leadership. It's actually a model that works not just in churches and in Christian ministries. It works in your world too. Whatever role you find yourself in, if you ever in a role where you supervise young people, you ever find yourself in a role where you supervise other people to be a servant leader, you will be amazed how successful that can be. Because it's so unusual to be willing to serve people even as a leader. In Philippians chapter 2, there's a passage here, and you will notice, if you have a newer translation, you'll notice that it's offset in a poetic form here, which they're suggesting to you this may be a hymn, like we've sung hymns. It's written in poetic fashion. Then, of course, there's the controversy. Was this a hymn that the Christian church was already using and Paul incorporated? Or did Paul write this hymn? My own personal preference is, um, you know, Paul could write hymns. Paul was a scholar. Paul was a man of tremendous skills and capabilities outside of being called by God and then being given the Holy Spirit. He, had, he, he was an amazing writer and author. And I have no problem thinking that the Apostle Paul wrote this in a, in a hymn form for the church. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Who being, let's just read this, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. This section of this hymn packs so much theology and teaching and understanding of Christ in really just these few, in our Bible, these few verses. That Jesus Christ, in verse 6, who being in very nature God, and the word that's used for nature here is the Greek word morphe. That doesn't sound unusual, right? We talk about things morphing into something, changing into something. The word morphe, while it does obviously appeal to what you see, what our senses perceive, is also understood, and it's, a unique, it's uniquely used by Paul in the New Testament here in this passage, to speak of the essential quality, essence, or substance of a being. It goes much deeper than what you look at. I'm looking at you this morning. You're looking at me. But each one of you has an eternal soul. Each one of you is, are made in the image and likeness of God. Think of that. There is something about you and there is something about the, me, even in our fallen nature, that still reflects God. It's amazing. But I can't see that in you. I can, I can experience it. But there is a deep sense to your essential being that is true about you and about me. It is our morphe. Morphology. It is our morphe. And Jesus Christ, I mean, to argue about whether Christ was truly God or not, um, 
it's 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 so plain in Scripture. It's, it's so plain that, that even the the Pharisees and scribes knew exactly what Jesus was saying when 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 they asked him, and and he claimed to be the Son of God, and they heard enough. They they knew what he was saying. He was claiming to be equal with God. Nobody sits at the right hand of God. Everybody sits below God. But you will see the Son of Man coming in the right hand of the Father. They knew exactly what he was saying. There was no debate. And in this passage here, it's very clear. Jesus was in very essence, substance, nature, God. Fully, 100% God. The miracle of the incarnation. We've got babies come in the church today. There may be some babies in the audience here today. I don't know. But to think of it, our, our newest edition is coming home in next week um, for Christmas. Isla, number 12. That's why she wears the 12th man, you know, baby things. Uh, Teresa's brother in England said, you got to get her a 12th man. And she, oh, that's right. So, of course, she's got about six of them, you know. And uh, she's a baby. She's a baby. Can you imagine Mary and Joseph holding this baby and contemplating, this is God? This is God? Can, you, can we even begin to, to, what we say today, wrap our minds around this? He was in the very nature God. But... He did not consider equality with God. He wished to debate if Jesus was truly God or not. He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. This, this phrase here, something to, to be grasped, opened up all sorts of theological possibilities. It's kind of interesting. When Paul wrote this, it probably wasn't that complicated in his mind. But as theologians wrestle with it and try to understand what does the language really mean, I think you know Paul is using some language here that is metaphorical. He's using he's using concepts that 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 he's not holding on to this. He's not holding on to this. He's willing to let go of something. He's willing to let go of something for the sake of God's plan of salvation. He did not consider this equalness and power. He's got the song we just sang the last. The last part of it, you'll notice, was from Revelation. Daniel and Revelation, Ezekiel. This picture of, of Christ is not from Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Of the seraphim and the eyes and the power and the glory. He did not consider that to be held on to. But, verse 7, then we have another huge thought here, theologically, that is debated it's been written about. There have been pages and so on. He made himself nothing. Now you see in the, in the IV translation, it sounds pretty simple. But in the original translation, it literally says he emptied himself. And we have this kenosis, this debate. Some of you that have done some theological study will recognize that. This debate of what, what did he empty himself of? What, what did he give up? When he, when he was on earth, was he fully God? And yet, how could he say when it, when it came to the, the hour that the Son of Man comes that only the fathers know, not even the Son knows, only the Father knows this. And yet he could perceive what they were thinking. 
He knew exactly he was God. He did miracles. He knew what they were thinking. He was, and yet he went to the Garden of Gethsemane and said, Lord, if there's any other way, Father, take this cup away. But no, why would he say that? He was fully God. This was set up from the ages before creation. He was fully God. What did he empty himself of? What did he give up? Did he give up part of his divinity? Did he give up some of his power? Did he not say, I could call legions of angels at this moment to rescue me if I wanted, Pilate? What did he give up? Well, again, I think when Paul wrote this, it probably wasn't that complicated in his mind. It's, it's a simple metaphorical phrase. He emptied himself. What do we say? We say those people went out there and they gave their what? They gave their all. It's a metaphor. They're still here. They didn't give up everything, but they poured their lives into it. They gave it their all. And I think Paul is simply saying, what he's saying here is, he, he gave up, he emptied himself. He gave it up, he emptied himself. For what? He emptied himself. It's not talking about necessarily things of his divinity, his nature. He gave everything. He emptied himself. He poured himself out like the Apostle Paul says, I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the altar of sacrifice. He poured himself out. How? Taking the very nature of a servant. And you know what's really important? I don't know if you mark in your Bibles or your phones or whatever, you know. Um, it's worth noting here. It's worth noting here that that word for became a servant, he took on the very nature of a servant is the exact same word morphe that is used about being very nature God. What does that mean? That means this. When the Bible says Jesus became a servant, a slave, if you will, he did not disguise himself as a slave. He did not pretend to be a slave. He, in essence and substance, an essentialness. He was a slave and a servant for 33 years while he was on earth. He was not disguised as a slave. He was as much a servant as he was as much God. We talk about the God-man. I wonder if we should talk about the God-servant-man. Because that was his morphe. That was who he was. Then it says, being made in human likeness. And this is a word that means to agree with, the, to, to have a homogeneous principle. He appeared in likeness as humanity. They saw him. The author John says, the Apostle John says, we, we saw him, we touched him, we handled him. We, he was with us, the word of life. He was like us. This does not mean he just pretended to be. No, he was like us. He humbled himself. And he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Now friends, this is part of our Christmas message. As a family of God, this is we never disconnect Christmas and Easter. That's why the Hallelujah Chorus, you know, handles handles 
oratorio, The Messiah, why it works for Easter and Christmas. Because the two are connected. We never disconnect them. Jesus came. Not only was he born in poverty and humbleness, and Mary was dedicated in humbleness and poverty, he lived as a common person. Somewhere along the line, his father's gone. He probably died. He probably took care of his mother and, and carried on the business. He began his public ministry and said, I don't even have a place to lay my head. I don't have a home. I have no place. Can I, can I stay with you? Can I stay with you? Can I stay with you? The Son of God. God. We're talking about God. And he became a servant to the point that he went to the cross of Calvary. And you know, in the church of Philippi, I love this cross up here. It's, it's part of our church persona. In the first century, at Philippi, nobody would wear a cross. Nobody would put a cross in their home. Nobody would have a Bible cover with a cross. It would be like you today putting an electric chair up on your wall or wearing it around your neck. It was, it was the most disgusting way to die. It was horrible. It was something nobody would be proud of. That the founder of their faith died on a Roman cross. He was the suffering servant of God. The song you guys sang, this last three verses of this hymn go with that last stanzas of your hymn. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, under the earth. Every tongue, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Easter and Christmas are one story. They're the bookends. And the story that fills those bookends is the story of a humbled servant who came not to be served, but to serve. And as long as you take this home with you today as we close this time together, we need to back up and do what we should do at the beginning, but on purpose today, I'd like you to look at this. Verse 3, Paul says, If you have any unity, if you have any fellowship, if you have any joy and love, I want you to be like-minded. Please make, make my joy complete. Verse 3, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but, this is written to the Christian believers at this young church at Philippi. It's written to you and I as members of the church, the body of Christ. No matter what your walk is, what stage of the walk, where you are in this journey, if you know Christ as Savior, this is written to you and it's written to me. In humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude, Pastor Jim, your attitude 
should be the same as that of Christ Jesus who. And my Christmas message for you this morning, for this day of Advent that we light the candle of humility, this is what God has called us to. You can read it how you want. It's pretty straightforward. God has called me and God has called you to live a life of humility and service. And you know what, friends? It begins with those closest to you. Your own family. Sometimes maybe the hardest place because you live in close quarters, huh? We live in close quarters. Husbands, wives, God has called you to serve one another. Children, parents, God has called us to serve one another. Brothers, sisters, grandparents and grandchildren, uncles and aunts, neighbors and friends. God has called us to serve one another. God has called us to think of other people as more important than myself, which is the hardest thing in the world for me to do. There is nothing harder in this world. It cuts across the grain of my human nature, at least for me. I know this. You don't have to tell me this. Anybody knows that I know it. It cuts against the grain of my human nature more than anything else in my life is to put other people ahead of me because that is not the way my human nature and its sin is built. But God has given us the Holy Spirit. God has given us the power of love and compassion and humility. And friends, how do you want to be remembered? Do you want to be remembered as a person who always got their way? Who was always right? Or do you want to be there some glimmer of memory of your life that you were a humble servant of Christ and you put other people before yourself. It's Christmas. I don't know about you, but we have a little bit more shopping to do. A couple of grandsons here. We Noah, we need a list. <laughs> we got one thing. We got the big thing, but if you want a couple of our presents, I don't see... Jack... Need a list. Evan? Sound booth? Need that list. This is it. This is the last call. I've got public witnesses. If nothing's there, need that list. Be like Tessa. We got a five page list from Tessa. Comes by naturally. We're giving gifts. We're giving gifts. It's good. It's fun. You all have your own traditions. Greatest gift you can give, friends, to people who you love and the people who you don't like is a gift of humility. To be a servant of God. To be like Jesus. To be like Jesus. Why not? Amen. Thank you so much. Good to have you with us this morning. Your presence here is a ministry to other people. Thank you for being an encouragement and coming and joining us today.
Our young people, some of you are home from college. It's good to have you home with the ones that are here already. Solomon, I see you back there. Lord bless you, friend. Welcome home. <laughs> it's good to have all of you here today. Let's pray together. And remember, next Sunday morning, 1030, for coffee and pastries and worship service. Candlelight Christmas worship service at 11. As we bow our heads and close our eyes, I do want to say this, friends. I read a scripture earlier. We believe it's God's Word. The Apostle Paul said, Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Christ, the Son of God. It doesn't say everyone who believes that. It says every tongue. Because we believe we will all stand before God. Everyone at the great judgment. And you will have to acknowledge. You will either acknowledge with joy and anticipation and celebration because your name is written in the Lamb's book of life that Jesus Christ is Lord. If you refuse that here on earth, I didn't write this. This is in God's Word. I didn't, I didn't write this. If you refuse it here on earth, you will be cast away because you will have to acknowledge Yes, He is the Lord. I heard that message, but I refused it. And so I ask you today, friend, why not? I have never met a person in my life who has accepted God's free gift of salvation and regretted it. Why not? Why not today? Why not say yes to God? Why not receive forgiveness for sins, eternal life, the presence of the Holy Spirit, and call God your Heavenly Father? He loves you. And I don't want anybody here to leave this place and at least has not heard God loves you. Father, we thank You today for Your love, for Your compassion, for Your mercy, for Your forgiveness, for Your humility that Your Son showed on earth in order to bring us eternal life and the joy of salvation. We leave here today, Lord, And there is no reason why we can't tell it on the mountain. Jesus Christ has been born. Amen.